0: We call on God, who is as near as our next breath. We gather to meet God, who has promised to bless us. On us. Meditate on his wondrous works of our Creator. Marvel at the glorious splendor of God's majesty. God is the maker of all who see the right Remember God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Make a joyful noise and break forth in song. Our
1: By the presence of your Spirit, you renew and direct our hearts. Keep always in our mind the end of all things and the day of judgment. Inspire us for a holy life here and bring us to the joy of the resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
0: The scripture reading today is from the Old Testament. Of Job chapter 19, verses 23 to 27a. Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead they were engraved in a rock forever. no, I, my redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Word of God, word of life. Be to God. From the, the Psalter, of Psalms, Psalm seventeen, verse one to nine. Here is a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Listen to my prayer, which does not come from lying lips. Examine my heart. Visit me by night. Melt me down. You will find no impurities in me. To your well-worn path, and my feet do not slip. I you, Show me your marvelous love-kindness, O oh, Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise against them. The under the the shadow. From the wicked who assault me, and from my deadly enemies who surround me.
1: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies leaving a wife but no children the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother now there were seven brothers the first married and died childless the sec- then the second and the third married her and so in the same way all seven died childless Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her, Jesus said to them. Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the book about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise the Christ. see happens from time to time and it happened this week as I went through and chose the scripture readings and it was a very busy week for both me and for Linda Held as we, and I didn't start really writing this message until Thursday morning because of all the things that were going on. The influence of all those things that were going on in my week caused me to look again at the revised common lectionary readings chosen for this Sunday. Those of you who are familiar with it know that there are, there are four readings every Sunday, an Old Testament reading, a psalm, an epistle reading from the writings of Paul, and a New Testament reading. Sometimes they confuse you even more and give you two choices for the Old Testament. That's this Sunday. So the first lesson was the one that I chose originally from Job 19, which Bob read. For you, and um, the second, the other one comes from the prophet Haggai. Now, there's a couple things as, as I read, as I reread both of the, both of them. The message from the second Old Testament reading suddenly jumped out at me, and so I read these words from Haggai to you and base the message this morning on this passage from Haggai. Listen to God's word for you and for me on the 24th day of the month. In the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you? that saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land. Say the Lord, work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Hebrew scripture or Old Testament lectionary reading from the prophet Haggai. After Obadiah, it's the second shortest book in the whole Old Testament. The entire book is barely two pages in most Bibles. How did this scrap of a manuscript ever survive all this time so that we will read it thousands of years later? Well, I personally am glad that it did survive because the idea that we have always been told... About churches and about culture in this modern modern age is to boast that bigger is better and that more people equals better church, successful church, all of which ultimately are not necessarily the characteristics of being church, but in our success-driven culture, they become the measures of successful church. This is, this is the only reading, by the way, in all of the lectionary, all three years of the lectionary from the book of Haggai. The only reading in the, that, that whole cycle, Haggai's basic message and what Haggai says in this passage can be boiled down to three words. God operates differently. You see, there was a beleaguered, tired, worn-out remnant of the ancient Jewish community. Those who somehow found a way to stay together had lived in their own Jewish exile in Babylonia, in Babylon. Babylon, which is today's Iraq. This remnant who had lived in Babylon for about 50 years, they, they'd they been there about 50 years when the whole course of history shifted. In 539, before the Christian era... Cyrus the Great of Persia, today's Iran. King Cyrus conquered the Babylonian king, this is a great name, Nabonidus. In the Battle of Opus on the Tigris River near modern-day Baghdad, Iran attacking Iraq, in other words, whoever heard of that? And Cyrus ruled over the Babylonians for 20 years. Cyrus the Great later issued a decree in 536 BCE, that allowed this remnant of the ancient Jewish community to return to Jerusalem in the Judean community, or today known as Israel-Palestine, another peaceful place. It seems they were allowed to return to their land in order to resettle those lands, but not just resettle them, to rebuild their ruined temple, you know, the church building. History moved on, and in 529 BCE, just seven years later, King Cyrus of Persia died. His successor, King Darius, ruled from 521 BCE to 485 BCE, and he reissued the rebuilding order to rebuild their church about 14 years later. So it took about 14 years to get the building permit to continue building their building. And the restoration of the Jerusalem temple, their church, began anew. Remember, these people were in exile, away from their home and their church home, refugees for at least 50 years, come home to ruins, not just the temple in ruins, but all of their homes too in ruins, just after just getting started rebuilding, and just seven years into the rebuilding, and poof! Their benefactor, King Cyrus, died. The power shifts and changes begin, and it's another, as I said, 14 years before they could get the new building permit. So as is very apparent, it was a very long time before they started the construction. Talk about waiting. Talk about change. Imagine no building to call my house. And no building to call my church. Talk about topsy-turvy existence. Some of this faithful remnant of Jewish believers who were still living in the so-called when the so-called second temple was completed, began to, to compare This restored second temple was Solomon's original temple. The verdict was inevitable and predictable. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? That's what it says in in, in Haggai's prophecy. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? That's Haggai chapter 2 verse 3. Or, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates the same passage from The Message. Listen to this wonderful, common English that we understand even better. Is there anyone here who saw the temple the way it used to be, all glorious? And what do you see now? Not much, right? By those old standards of the the majestic and huge and historic and ornate Solomon's Temple, this second temple was a meager, meager, pale, simple imitation and everyone seemed to know it. Now, the prophet Haggai is also, it seems, telling us today that more often than not, those old glorious days need to remain in the past. They cannot and often should not be resurrected no matter how much we may want to bring them back. Do we do that? And if we make this even more relevant for today, and the challenges we face, and the challenges we face at Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church, and the challenges the church, the whole Christian church faces today, the prophet Haggai is telling us that it is essential to our future to prepare for and usher in a new way. A new way that is inspired and informed by each one's discipleship. A new way that is inspired and informed by each one's contribution to our faith and our church. All of our contributions, our time, our talents, and our dollars. A new way that is inspired and informed by each one's spiritual engagement and development beyond just coming to worship on Sunday morning. A new way that is inspired and informed by each one's faith commitment to our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And just how that saving power of Jesus, that redemption, equips us to be a part of the transformation Because as Reformed Christians, as Protestants who are always reforming and changing the church, we must always be on the move. That's part of who Jesus calls us to be. So you're with me so far. You see, the prophet Haggai insists in this lesson that God was every bit as present in the modest, plain, not as fancy second temple under the Persian ruler Darius as God was in the extravagant temple under King Solomon of Israel. Or for that matter, under the oppressive regime of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon when there was no temple at all. These same people, this remnant in exile, without their own place to live, today we would probably call them homeless refugees, also had to somehow maintain their confidence in the word that God spoke to them. The inspired word of God that that was spoken to them, the prophetic word that God spoke to them through this prophet called Haggai, when he said, Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. Rebuild, for I am with you, declared the Lord Almighty. Rebuild not just the building, rebuild the community, restore the whole community. You see, that's what discipleship is all about. The Scripture says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Despite the outward circumstances, I will bless you, and the glory of the second temple will outshine the splendor of the first temple. Whether in victorious exodus out of Pharaoh's Egypt, or the humiliating exile to Nebuchadnezzar's pagan Babylon, or the return to the ruins of Jerusalem after exile in Babylon under the Persian rulers Cyrus and Darius... God was always, always, always present among God's people. And I believe in that very same way that God is present with us today here at Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church on November 10, 2019. Present with us in the same way God has always been present. No different than when the congregation was founded and meeting in a simple structure before this sanctuary was built, or when this or, or the chapel added in the early twentieth century, or this part over here uh, added in the 1950s. Or when they, earlier than that, when they changed the sanctuary around, y'all know that that happened, right? The pulpit and everything used to be over there. There was no balcony, and see that big blank space there? If you look really, really carefully, you can see that the doors used to be there. That's the where that's where people came in. So there's been all kinds of changes. And then they added this. Those windows used to be closer in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There have been changes made over time. To the building, as the, as the needs of the church and the people of the church changed and moved. My spirit remains among you, do not fear. Despite the outward circumstances, I will bless you, and the glory of the second temple will outshine the splendor of the first temple. We always have to remember that. And present with us in the same way God has always been present. No different than whenever you, each one of you, joined the church. Whether that was last year, or 70 years ago, or 3 years ago, or yesterday. The church is forever changed and changing, but God is still the same. And God's spirit remains among us. Do you feel it? I always say when people join the church, I stole this from, from Irwin McManus. Irwin has uh, what we would call a really hip happening church in Los Angeles with a rock band and all that kind of stuff. And he moves it around all the time. <laughs> he moves it from one week, a couple of months it's in a nightclub, and a couple more months it's over in a theater, a couple more months it's in a college auditorium. And you've got to pay attention to the Twitter feed because that's where he tells you where church is going to be the next week. A whole radical new way of doing church. But Irwin says something that's so true. Every time a new member joins the church, even when we baptize a baby and we bring a baby into the church, we're never the same again. It doesn't matter that that we're in this gorgeous building and we've been here for how long. We're still never the same again when, when when one more person joins. Because we're constantly being changed and moved and evolved into new people. Born again and again and again and again. How are these people, the people the prophet Haggai is talking to, coping with their disappointment? We're always disappointed in some way about something, right? Well, the first thing the prophet tries to do is to convince these people of the need for confession in relation to their hope. Their efforts to rebuild the temple, their church, at the heart of their community, have been delayed. In part, by their focus on restoring and rebuilding their own houses. That makes sense, right? They needed a place to live, after all seems to be reminding the faithful remnant still there then and the faithful remnant still here now today and reminding them and reminding us today that the presence of God is with them still with us and that God's spirit is dwelling and abiding among them and yes is still dwelling and abiding among them live with and staying with us today all of those things prophet Haggai cuts to the heart of their faith and to the heart of their hope You see the folks that Haggai was addressing, they were confusing the details of temple symbolism, its glorious architecture and their love of that building and the security that they they, they felt when they were in that building and their need to make that building look like it always looked. They were confusing all of those details and just what the temple represented in the life of their faith. And it doesn't, it's, it's no different today, not just here, but all over the place, just like in the pro- time of the prophet Haggai who's proclaiming God's truth. Faithful people are constantly challenged to decide what is at the heart of their faith and what is on the peripheral or out there, the outer edges of their faith, not the important part, you know, what is lasting and what is passing. And this is even more difficult when the latter is closely associated with matters of substance like a building. But the prophet Haggai doesn't stop there. The prophet goes on to speak of the future glory of this house that they're building. We need to be careful there. It sounds as if the prophet is simply saying to the people, don't worry. The glory of the temple lacks now and will one day be seen or seen again. In other words, when you hoped for and what you did not see today, you just have to wait a little longer. Another point should be noted. The prophet Haggai is clearly asking the faithful remnant, those faithful believers then and those faithful remnant now that are still here today in this place, in this temple, the question is a simple one. What is the point of striving to build the temple? Is it simply for the glory of the building itself? Is it so the only time, the only time we practice our faith is inside its walls? Is it so we can feel comfortable in the building? Is it so we never feel vulnerable or challenged in or by our faith because it's always safe in here? Is it to ensure that everything looks like it's supposed to look and everyone around looks like they're supposed to look? You know, just like us too. Is it for the power and support of the priests? Is the church of the building? Is the church of the old institutions and events associated with the building? The passage associates only one thing with the temple. Only one thing. The presence of God. And so you all can take comfort because guess what you stare stare at every week? What does it say up there? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So that staring at us every single week, isn't that a cool thing? To remind us that God is still with us. And God is still with us here. And God is still with us when we go out the doors. Whichever door we use. And out into the world. Because God is always with us. The presence of God is always there. And somebody, some of our ancestors decided that was a really good thing to remind us of. And so they put it up there in gold so that everybody can see it. Even in the back row. The stress on the temple is not so much for its own material glory. The stress on the temple is not for the privilege and power of those in charge, or especially those who think that they're in charge. And the stress on the temple is especially not for any false sense of security. It's really all about what goes on in the temple and what that represents as we go out into the world. Most of us experience our share of reversal, exile, defeat, destruction, and catastrophe. Sometimes enemies do this to us. other times we do this to ourselves. Often there's no apparent reason our health, our checkbooks, our jobs and our family all include some amount of battle, whether a slight skirmish or wholesale devastation. Or how about our church? Too often we experience this in relation to our church struggling with what we with wanting to be, quote the way it was. Even though it will never be exactly that way again, it can't be. Those outward circumstances of our lives can feel harsh beyond measure. These outward circumstances of our lives can make us think about giving up. These outward circumstances of our lives can threaten to diminish our vision and our faith. Does it seem like nothing, Haggai asks, about the restored temple? Still, God speaks to us today through Haggai's ancient promise when Haggai says, I am with you, do not fear, my spirit remains among you. There can be no, there can be greater glory in your lesser circumstances. Did you hear that? I am with you, do not fear, my spirit remains among you. There can be greater glory in your lesser circumstances. I was at the 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 bishops conference for the Lutheran Church this week. Bishop Zeiser holds this every year. We have an inspirational speaker. We had a seminary professor, a whole bunch of pastors and deacons get together, and we spend some time together, and we talk about things. And one of the things we talk about is just that—the greater glory in our lesser circumstances as a church. What does that mean? The wisdom of the prophet Haggai is an amazing example for this church today. All of the church, not just this, this one. Because you see, Haggai may not have seen the results of his efforts and could easily have fallen into despair that his understanding of God's work in the world was not the one who thought it was. Ever feel that way? Haggai called the, temp- the people to faithfulness in and to God in a time when there was no reason to be faithful. Ever feel like you don't have any reason to be faithful anymore? Finally, in ways that Haggai could not possibly imagine, in a much longer time frame than he ever knew it was going to take, that community of faith that he helped preserve would indeed become the focal point for the entire world, just as the prophet had dreamed. Haggai, you see, was willing to dream. Haggai was willing to dream God's dream. Haggai was willing to look beyond the present circumstances and see what could be. Haggai was willing to look beyond the present failures and invest in the future based on God's action in the world. Haggai was willing to rely on the fact that God had again chosen a people through which which to reveal God's self. And Haggai was willing to put out the effort to work as if what ought to be really could be. When you talk to pastors who are serving struggling churches to keep the doors open. Or struggling churches that are in the city trying to serve the people in the city but they don't know what to do next. And they're afraid every single week of both failing as a church and not being able to serve the people that are going to come through the door. And so how important is, is it for all of us to pray for them and to pray for us? Of how we can bring that together in new ways to serve the city of Allentown. To serve all the people around us here in this community. But most importantly, to understand and see what really could be. Because you see, I know that God is still speaking through God's prophets. And it is my hope and prayer that God is still speaking through this, the faithful proclamation of God's holy word for God's people this day. You see, I don't claim authorship of this sermon. I believe that these sermons are inspired by the events in my life during the week and the way that God inspires me when I read the text. So I I joyously proclaim this is the day that the Lord has made." In the name of God, our creator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit who sustains us in all that we do. Amen. not a veteran, please sit down. All of the veterans, please stay standing. Um, It's always important to to remember this and to remind everybody of this. This is Veterans Day when we we remember and thank all of these fine people, women and men, who served the country who are still with us. They're alive and well and functioning people in the world. That's what Veterans Day is. Memorial Day is a different thing. And we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice. But today we're honoring these living, breathing women and men who served our country in this way. We give thanks to all of them. We thank them for the way that they served their country and all of us. And created and helped create and maintain and all those things about the freedom that we all enjoy. And so at this time it's important for us to pray together, to pray to God, to honor these people. So join me now as we pray. Today we honor our veterans, those who answered the call to serve and protect their country. Bless them for their unselfish service, for the hardships they faced, and for the sacrifices they made. We commend to your gracious care and peace all the men and women of our armed forces, and all who serve this country at home and abroad. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage to face the perils that surround them. And grant them a sense of your abiding presence, wherever they may be, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Lord. Amen. Everyone, please stand if you Just prior to, to our last hymn, the National Hymn, hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and always, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen.